You're listening to a sermon delivered at First Family Church from the series, The King and the Kings, Anticipation in the Books of Samuel. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. Well, I appreciate so much, uh, not only Pastor Todd, but the other pastors and elders and uh, this entire church family, the staff, they've been so gracious to us, so helpful to us. I don't know that you get to see the behind the scenes of all they're doing for Life Change Church, myself, as we're getting prepared for this, as this is my first adventure at this, and uh, I have no idea what I'm doing, and relying and leaning heavily on this church and on Todd as he started this church, you know, many years ago, and uh, it has just been a blessing, so thank you for uh, having us be a part of your great church family, a gospel-centered church that is excited about what God's doing in the community. And we look forward to launching in September, hopefully September, and uh, on the east side of Des Moines. I live in Altoona, so uh, I'm close to that side of town, but we're very passionate, but uh, very thankful and humbled to be able to have the opportunity to partner with you guys for the gospel. So let's pray this morning together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us and for the opportunity we have to come and hear from you, God. That's ultimately what we want, is to hear from you. And so as we read your word, God, I pray that we would let it sink into our hearts, God, and not just be hearers, but doers of the word as well. And so we thank you for the opportunity and the privileges for you to be here with us and for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, today we are talking about contrasts in uh, week two of our series, uh, Kings and I'm excited about that in 1 Samuel as we begin to look at some uh, different approaches that we have to parenting. We have two different sets of parents that we're going to find here in this story and uh, two different outcomes. And so I want you to pay attention today to the differences because they're big. They're huge. They have giant implications in your life and the life of our families. Uh, Before we uh, dive into this week and the story of this week, I kind of want to review. Maybe you weren't here last week. Uh, but I want to kind of review a little bit about the story. Obviously, last week we heard about the three main characters, which was Hannah and uh, Samuel and Eli. They're the three main characters. And this week we're introduced to Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas. okay? So that's not to be confused with Phineas and Ferb. I know many of you have heard of Phineas and Ferb before or watched it before. My sons watched it as they were growing up. But uh, Hophni and Phineas, and I'm just going to call them H&P most of the day. Is that all right? So you know that when you hear H&P, it's not a clothing store. It's uh, Hophni and Phineas, and I just wanted to make it a little easier for us as we, uh, we dive into the scriptures. But we're going to see some stark contrasts. So we see this family, uh, Elkanah and Hannah, who desire to place God first in their life. We see this example of them that they're passionate about their relationship with God, about serving Him. They come uh, every year annually, and they come to offer and give to the Lord. It's a family who believed not only in God, but in the power of prayer. We saw that last week. We saw as Hannah prayed and said, God, I I want you to please give me a son. And she prayed over and over again earnestly. And God finally granted her request and said, yes, you will have a son. And that son, as we know, is Samuel. Um, You know, one of the things I think that she realizes is that children are a gift from God. Amen? I know, that's hard to say sometimes, right? Um, Children are a gift from God. Amen? I know, it doesn't always feel that way. Trust me, okay? I have four boys and another boy, five boys technically living with me, three of them teenagers right now, one twenty, one eight. So 
Sometimes those amens are not as loud in my life either, okay? But children are a gift from the Lord. They're a gift from God, and they realize that. They realize that in a mighty way because they weren't able to, she wasn't able to have a kid. So when God finally did give her Samuel, man, it was like, amen, right? This is awesome. This is incredible. I have what God has uh, given to me. And little did she know that God's answer was not just an answer to her prayer for herself or Elkanah, but God's answer was to the nation of Israel, I mean, she didn't even probably realize, man, when you're praying for your kids, when you're asking and you're giving them over to the Lord, you don't realize it's not just for you and your family. It's for the community. And who knows the world that God is going to use uh, your children, our children for the glory of himself. Isn't that awesome to know that God can do that and that God does do that? And he's going to use Samuel in a powerful way in the the, uh, nation of Israel. So it's very exciting. Our job, our calling as parents is to raise them and then release them. That's hard to do, isn't it? Moms, is that hard to do, to think about? Uh, we, we have a 19-year-old. Um, he graduated last year and still at home for now. He's going to DMACC. He decided that's a better pathway for now for him, and so he hasn't left yet. But we've seen many leave before, and that's a hard prospect, isn't it? When you have to let them go, when you have to actually release them. Um, <coughs> but that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ, as, is release them. How many of you have ever made a promise before? Raise your hand if you've made a promise. How many of you have made a promise with God that, God, if you'll just do this, please, I really need this job, I need a raise, I need this, I want this. If you do this, I promise I'll be in church next week, right? Cub fans, you know what that is, right? That's why you're here this, this year, right? 108 years you've been praying and saying, I'll be in church, God, if you just help them win a championship, right? I actually saw in Altoona, we were driving, and I saw a church sign that said that exact thing. It said, the Cubs have won. We'll see you on Sunday. <laughs> so that's a true statement, right? I mean, we make these commitments, these vows to God, and we say, hey, if you'll do this. To me, verse 11, I want us to begin backwards and just look at last week what Todd had to say. Because I think this verse is so powerful. It said this, verse 11. It says, then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Moms, I couldn't imagine this, but I can't imagine that Hannah, as she leaves um, Samuel, who's probably three to four years old, and she leaves him, and she says, God, I promised that he was yours. Here he is. I mean, it's one thing to make that vow, isn't it? It's one thing for us to say, God, you know what? These are your children, you know, and we're, we're just caretakers. We're not owners. We're stewards, and we're giving them to you. But literally, she left him. She gave him to the Lord and said, he's going to be raised by Eli, and who knows else? who else? Here is my son that you gave me. He's yours. Could you imagine the tears, Mom, as you walked away for the first time, a three-year-old? I mean, you just got through with the terrible twos, and you're hoping threes are better, Right? It does get better, moms, don't worry, if you're, if you're in that stage. It does get better. I liked them, threes, fours, it was fun years. But could you imagine? She literally gave him to the Lord and said, this is what God gave me. I'm gonna give him back to the Lord. It's truly God. She left him in God's hands. Listen to what Ecclesiastes chapter five says about making a vow. In verses four and five, it says this, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that was a mistake. Why should God be angry or your voice 
and destroy the work of your hands. The bottom line is God says, hey, when you make that vow, when you commit yourself to the Lord, when you give your children over to the Lord, you truly are turning them over. You're saying, God, please, this is yours. I'm entrusting them to you. I'm giving myself to you. You know, Allstate says what? You're in good hands, right? I mean, that guy's got that great voice, doesn't he? You're in good hands. God, you're in the best hands, amen? When we say, when we give our children to the Lord and truly say, God, they're yours, when we realize we're not the uh, owners, but we're just stewards, when we give them over to the Lord, man, God, they're in the best hands that they could possibly be. You never lose in giving over to God, yourself or your kids. You never lose. It's a win-win for both of you. And you know what's interesting about verse 11? It didn't say, and Hannah was promised more children. Do you realize she dropped off her only child and said, here, God, even though I'm not promised another one, this one's yours. What faith, right? I mean, Hannah starts off with faith and faithfulness to honor the Lord. What honor to the Lord that Hannah had. What a beautiful picture. And what I want you to see is there's going to be a comparison here. Because we're going to see that it didn't look that way for H&P. It didn't look like that for H&P and Eli. It's a totally different picture and scenario. So this whole morning, I want you to be comparison, a comparison and looking back and forth at what does a godly, faithful life and mom and family look like versus an ungodly, unfaithful, unhonoring family look like. God's no is always to a greater yes. And, and although he had, uh, she had given over uh, her son to the Lord, he had something greater for her. How many of you had a nickname growing up? Anybody have nicknames growing up? I had a, several nicknames. Um, I don't know if you can guess any of them. It's okay. You can guess, um, right? Carrot Top was obviously one of them, okay? I, my hair was a little more orange and uh, unmanaged. My mom, I don't know. She just let it grow and never cut it. It was terrible. And uh, so I was Carrot Top. I was also Freckle Face, okay? I had freckles, obviously, um, uh, my grandma, however, made it good for me. She told me they were angel kisses, so I'm obviously loved a lot more than you guys. Don't be jealous. Don't be jealous. I was freckle face. Um, I was howdy duty for those of you way back. Yeah, I knew some of you would get that. There's no need to clap, Trapper. But, uh, and then uh, Opie, of course. Uh, those of you who know Opie Taylor. And yes, I honestly have a brother named Opie as a redhead, so I can't make it up. I wouldn't lie from the pulpit, but I have a brother named Opie as well. Those were not all great nicknames, right? I did not enjoy all those nicknames. They were not all things that I enjoyed growing up and hearing, but they defined me. People would say, hey, there's, uh, you know, Opie. Oh, yeah, great. Okay, so um, I didn't get to decide. I don't know why they decided on Hophni and Phineas as we start this story. But Hophni means fighter, and Phineas means mouth of the serpent. As Pastor Todd said last week, uh, these are Egyptian names. I don't know if it was left over from the culture. I don't know why you would still honor that culture. I don't know what the reasoning was behind, but neither of these names sounds like it's a, it, it's a good deal. The bottom line is this, though. Our main names mean something. When people hear your name, they associate something to you. Something. They think of something. They have a belief about you. A predisposition about who you are when they hear your name. Your name means something. In the Bible, Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Names mean something. People associate descriptions and beliefs about you and me when they hear them. 
If I were to say to you the name Hillary Clinton, you have an association, right? I'm not asking you for to say it out loud, okay? But you have a thought in your head. If I say Billy Graham, right, the great evangelist, some of you have an instant impression. You have an idea in your head. If I say Dabo Sweeney, many of you say, I have no idea what you just said, right? Anybody know who Dabo Sweeney is? Anybody know? There's a handful of true football fans in here, okay? He's the head coach of the Clemson Tigers, the national champions in football this year, okay? And the reason I say his name is because right after he got done, he said, this is for the good Lord. Right when he got done winning the national championship, the first thing he said, he's supposed to be a believer as he says, thanks be to the good Lord. And then they asked him, how did you win this championship? You know what he said? He said, the oddest answer I think I've ever heard a football coach say, because mostly it's tough defense, you know, we, you know, great offense. He said, my team loved each other. What coach says that? But he said, our players have a love for one another, and that's how we won this game. You know, when you, when you think of these names, names matter. They make an impression. Well, here in verse 12, we're going to begin hearing about Eli's son's names. And here's what we read. Let's read verse 12 together. And by the way, I may use these from time to time. I don't know if you've ever seen these things before, but they're, uh, they're called glasses. I haven't needed them for the first too many years of my life, which is 40-something. And um, two years ago, I started to need them and denied it. Um, I realized that the Lord made me wrong. I don't know how many of you realize this, but my arms were made too short. And so, you know, I could only hold it out so far and before I could quit reading it. So I have to wear them. But I still am in denial, so as I read, I'll keep them about like this. My kids make fun of me because I will not wear them all the way. Let's read verse 12 together. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests was when the people, uh, that was when the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, the fat was burned. The priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and, not, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt." We're going to begin to read some things about Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons. Notice the first terms. They were worthless men. They're worthless men. Wow. 3,000 years later in Ankeny, Isle, we're still reading about their name, and it's associated with being worthless. Names matter. Your reputation matters. It makes an impact one way or the other. These guys were known as worthless men. In fact, the King James says it this way, that they were the sons of Belial. Well, that term Belial is used in 2 Corinthians 6.15, right? As another term for what? Satan. Another term for Satan. So these guys' names are being associated with Satan. People who are worthless, who practice lawlessness. You know, our kids have been called little devils. Maybe some of your kids at times, they were these little devils. But these are young men. These are men who are being called worthless devils 
because they were lawless. Notice what it says behind that. They did not know the Lord. You see, they knew about him. They had a form of religion. They, per- they performed. They knew how to come to church dressed up, put the smile on, act the part, say the right words, right? They knew it. They were religious, but they didn't have a relationship. And there's a difference. There's a difference between having a religion and having a relationship. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it's about. These guys had a form of religion. Listen, the bottom line is James tells us that even the demons believe in God, right? And they tremble. They acknowledge. But we're going to see that Hophni and Phinehas were not that way. H&P were not guided and directed by the Lord in any way. Let me just say this as a warning to parents. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. Missouri, here in Iowa, and in, um, and in New Jersey. And over those 15 years, I watched, watched thousands of students, if not tens of thousands, come through my youth groups. And I watched a lot of them walk away from the Lord. You want to know why? Because they did the church thing. They put on the religious garb, the religious language. They knew what to say, why to say, but they didn't have a personal faith relationship with God themselves. You see, they had a surrogate relationship with Jesus through their parents. It was their parents that pushed them to go. It was their parents that made them do things. It was their parents that made them. Rather than it be a life-transforming, changing relationship that they personally had with their creator. Amen? That's what they need. That's what they need. You need to be fostering that. You need to be praying, as Hannah did, that they will have a personal relationship with God. One in which they desire to be obedient. One in which they desire to walk with God all the days of their lives. Many walk away because they never really had the walk in the first place. I have four sons. When, I was, uh, when they were little, our last name is Christensen. So a couple of them, both two of them, I think, in their time, when they were very little, would be asked, well, are you a Christian? And they would say, yes, it's in my name. They thought because it was in their name that they were Christian. You know, I don't know what H&P were thinking. Maybe they thought because I'm Jewish, I'm good. Because I'm a priest, I'm good and I'm in. But they didn't have that relationship with the Lord. They thought they were covered. They thought they were doing, but they weren't. They weren't walking. They weren't faithful. They weren't committed. They had a bad reputation. You know, a lot of times PKs get bad reputations, don't they? Pastor Todd, I'm sure you've heard that. PKs are pastor kids, okay? Get bad reputations. They're the troublemakers. They, they rebel. They, 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 they're supposed to be perfect. I don't know if these PKs, which they're priest kids, right? That's what H&P are, are priest kids. I don't know if they had that pressure to be perfect. I don't know if they were trying to perform. I don't, I don't know if, if others expected of them. But the bottom line is they didn't respond to the call for God, of God for repentance. They didn't, they didn't listen. They weren't faithful. They weren't committed fully to the Lord. And I think it's a scary thing to grow up knowing about God but not knowing God. Amen? I mean, how many of you know President-elect Donald Trump? You know, if you saw a picture, you would say, yeah, I know who that is. But if me and you tried to walk into Trump Tower today or walk into the White House in a week, and we just walked in or we ran through the lawn to get there, right, what would happen? We'd be shot, right? We'd be arrested. Why? Because I don't really know him. But if I was his family member, I'd get to walk right in because I really know him. And that's the difference, Do we really know the Lord? Do our kids really know? Our prayers as parents need to be for our children to be saved, to truly know and to surrender to the Lord completely. That's what our prayers need to be. You know, maybe today you've relied on being a Christian, 
Maybe it's a label that you've had. Maybe it was a prayer that you made years ago, but you've never truly surrendered. There's no evidence. There's no fruit. When people hear your name, they don't associate you with Christianity. They don't associate you with Christ. It's something else. Maybe today you need to. Maybe today you need to surrender to God. Maybe today you need to repent and give your life over to Jesus Christ. By the way, just let me give you a side note. Kids are not cookies. So some of you parents are, you know, you're going to pray and you're going to have kids who rebel. You're going to have kids who choose not to walk with Christ or walk away from Christ. Um, it's not like cookies where you put in all the chocolate chip ingredients and out comes a chocolate chip. You know, they have a free will. They have a choice. They have a choice, as Hophni and Phineas had a choice, to be faithful to God, to walk with him, or to reject God and not walk with him. Your children have a choice. Our job is not to be out come based. Our job is input based. What we do is we give them the Lord, right? We walk the walk. We tell them about the Lord. We take them. We do everything we can. But then we truly, as Hannah did say, they are the Lord's, right? We got to give it to them. And then they have to make a choice to either choose or reject the Lord. You know, even Jesus, and this should give you some encouragement. Jesus was the perfect teacher, right? And he had one go astray, Judas. So just know that our prayers do matter, but that we are input-based, not output-based. we got to just give them over to the Lord and do our best to raise them to know him by living that life as best we can. Well, as we continue on in this scripture, it's going to talk about the custom of the priests uh, and, and the sacrifice, the sacrifices. How many of you have been to a good steakhouse before, right? How many of you like good steak? Um, favorite steakhouse, what do we got? If anyone says Perkins, I'm not going to believe you, Okay. It can't be Perkins. Anybody? Texas Roadhouse? Anybody like Texas Roadhouse? You get to pick out your filet. How many like filet? That's my favorite piece of meat, my favorite cut. Some sirloin sometimes, but filet is my favorite, right? There's this place called Fogo de Chow. Anybody ever been to a Fogo de Chow? I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but there's one in Philly. I, I, don't, I don't know. It was the most incredible experience ever. They just walk around with like giant slabs of meat and cut it off and hand it to you. Like, as much as you want. I should have heard an amen from every man in here. Can you believe that? They have a salad bar. I don't even know what it's there for. I don't know why you would want a salad as a man when you've got all you can eat meat, right? Amen. There, thank you. I find somebody agrees with me. Well, as we look at this story, this is what we're going to be talking about, that the people were to bring this offering to the Lord, and the priests were to, to accept that offering on behalf of them and offer it to the Lord, right? And part of that that offering would go back to the people. And part of that offering was for the priest. The priest got a part, a portion of that. In fact, Leviticus tells us which portion they get. They were to get the breast and the right thigh most of the time. And, and so they had their portion, but there was a portion that was supposed to be given over to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of meat is brisket. And I loved smoked brisket. I love uh, grilled smoked brisket, and it's, it's some of my favorite, right? And uh, we had it over Christmas. My wife is from Texas. My, wife, my family is all Texan down there, and, and uh, the, she is an incredible uh, cook, and, and she smoked brisket or cooked brisket for us, grilled it. And, uh, and the best part of the brisket is the fat. Any of you agree? Uh, it's not this grisly type of thing where you got to chew and pull. It, it melts in your mouth, and I look for the pieces with the fat. Why? Because they're the best. And you see, in this offering, as they're talking about this, this is what they're saying. That they're saying, all he did was take a fork and they said, stab it in there and I'll take whatever comes out. And they're saying, wait a second, even the Israelites knew, the Jewish people knew, wait a second, aren't you supposed to give the best part to the Lord first? 
I mean, isn't God supposed to get the best? And isn't he supposed to get the first? And that's the part he was supposed to get. He was supposed to get that fat. It was supposed to be burnt for the Lord, not boiled, but burnt for the Lord as an offering to him. And they're saying, wait, we're supposed to be giving this to to God. But see, they robbed the people and they're going to rob God of his glory. You see, here's some of the contrast. The law said to give to the worship his part, but they said, hey, we'll take whatever we want. In fact, listen to what they said. If we don't give it what, what we want, we'll take it by force. I mean, they were so greedy that they said, we don't care what the law says. We don't care what God says. We know what we want, and we're going to take it no matter what. They took God's part, the fat, which was to be burned on the altar to the Lord. You see, the contrast is their greed versus giving. They were to give to the people. They were to give to the Lord. Instead, they gave to themselves. They cared more about themselves than anyone else. The contrast is this. They focused upon their priestly power instead of submission to the Lord. They took advantage of their position. They thought about self-gratification over self-control. You see, they caused others to stumble and sin. In fact, if you read what it says there, it says it caused the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt, verse 17. With contempt. In other words, the people began to view it and say, well, it's no big deal. They don't take it seriously. Why should we take it seriously? They robbed from God. Why can't we rob from God? I mean, these were supposed to be the men of God. These were supposed to be the faithful priests who were serving faithfully and showing God honor, but they could care less. You see, they abused their their priestly office for their own gain. It was spiritual abuse. You know, we see that in America today with a lot of pastors, priests, where they take advantage of their position. And they take advantage and they use it for their own gain versus for God's gain versus God's glory. They do it for their self-glory. You see, it's about pleasure over responsibility for them. I tell my boys all the time, you can do whatever you want. You can, you can, you know, have fun. There's a lot of pleasurable things, but is it the responsible thing? Is it the right thing? Is it what God has asked or told you you can do? Because it may be pleasurable and sin is pleasurable for a season. The Bible says that. But there's always consequences, is there not? To the choices we make, to the sin. Malachi 2, 8 through 13, or 8 and verse 13 says this. says, but you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And he says, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. This was what was happening God was looking at H&P saying, man, you're not doing it right. This is not what I said. This is not what I commanded. You're not being faithful to what I've given you. You see, they were choosing temporary over eternal, dishonor over honor. Listen, I agree that grilled is better than boiled, right? Amen? I mean, it's better. It's better to my taste bud, but not when it disobeys directly what God says. Not when God has said no, can we say yes? We have to be faithful even in the little things. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. This is the story of Saul as he was king. And they had told him some things that he had to do when he defeated a country. And listen to what happened. It says, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Notice who's giving this. Samuel. 
You think maybe he's remembering back to the time when he was young and he's watching H&P do it the wrong way? When he's watching them rob from the Lord? When he's watching them steal from God's people? And here he is saying, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than what? To sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. Listen to that, the fat of rams. He's bringing it right back. For rebellion is the sin of divination and presumption is his iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. Quite a high price to pay for not listening fully and being faithful to even the little things that God has asked him to do. And here's how we've said it to our children over the years. Delayed or partial obedience is what? Disobedience. Delayed or partial obedience is disobedience. Mom and dad, if you got to count to three, at number one, they've already disobeyed you. At number two, they've continued to disobey you. And I'm not here to harp on, on using counting. I, I, I'm just saying they're delaying their obedience. They should have been obedient when you said, do it, right? Amen? I didn't hear amen from my sons, but amen, okay? When you ask, complete obedience, immediate, with the right attitude, that's what God is asking. Instead, they treated the Lord with contempt. What was to be an act of worship for people became an act of worthlessness to the people of God and most importantly to God himself. And ultimately it was idol worship because Exodus 23, they knew, said that there's only one God, right? There's only one Lord. And they were placing themselves over him. They were putting themselves on the throne instead of God. That's the contrast is who's on the throne of your life. Is it truly God or is it yourself? Which one is in control? Let's read verses 18 through 21. It says, Samuel was ministering. We're going to see a contrast before the Lord. A boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to, make, uh, used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord so they would return to their home. Let me stop here and just say one of the contrasts that we're seeing is uh, that Samuel's continuing to grow in the Lord. He's continuing to surrender to the Lord, minister. And you know why? Because he has a family that believes in that. A family that's placed God first, children second. That's going to be an important point that we're going to learn here in a second. But they've placed God or uh, Samuel in God's hands. And they're trusting that. And every year she's bringing him, anticipating the growth in the Lord. She's bringing him this, this, this outfit, uh, this priestly outfit that he's wearing as he's continuing to minister and grow. And I love this. Look what God does for her. Look what he does in verse 21. It says, Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy grew in the presence of the Lord. How awesome is that? That God, when she had no promise of any more children, but God answered that prayer again. And he even used Eli through that. And Eli said that as a... As a uh, uh, answer to that prayer that she would have more children and she had five more kids. Isn't that awesome? How God blesses you with more than you could imagine. She was just asking for one and God gave her six children. Amen? That's awesome. That's incredible. That's the God that we serve who does more than we ask or imagine. I love that. I love this. Also, if you didn't notice, at first it says he was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli and now we see him growing in the presence of the Lord. 
That's awesome. It's exciting to see that. It's exciting to see that Samuel continues to grow in his understanding of who God is and his faithfulness. So Eli's prayers for Hannah are given and they're answered in his kids. And so what we see is a contrast of Samuel being faithful and behaving and acting and doing what God wants while H and P are unfaithful and continuing to rebel against what God has said. Well, verses 22 through 26, let's read those together as the story continues. We're gonna hear rumors and idols about what is going on with these kids. So Eli was very old, it says. And it says he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they will not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of God, to, of the Lord, to put them to death. We've got a lot packed in here in these verses that we have. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like to hear rumors of my kids getting in trouble. Do you? Where you hear somebody got in trouble and you're like, oh no, is it mine? The worst part is when it's true, right? When you hear the rumor, yes, little Johnny hit you know, my kid or bit my kid in the nursery. <laughs> the rumor's true, right? Have any of you ever had that happen? Because I have. Um, you know, you're the dreaded biting of the other child. Um, and you hear the rumors and you're like, I can't believe it, it's true. Well, that's what's happening here. He's heard rumors. Um, others have talked to Eli. I don't know, possibly others that were in his circle have come to him that cared about him and said, hey, Eli, you know, your sons are really not, they're, they're doing a lot of bad things. Not only are they treating the, the offering with contempt, but they're sleeping with the servants that are there, the ladies that are there to minister, the ladies that have volunteered, you know, to serve the church, that love to come up and, and want to be faithful to God. And here, your sons are sleeping with them. Either way, listen, there's no escaping that he knew his sons were in sin. And so Eli confronts them, asking them why. He's saying, why are you doing this? Why? And once again, I don't know how long this has been going on, but I imagine some time has gone by. So he's heard these rumors for some time, and he's just now coming to them and approaching them saying, why are you doing this? It's not a good report I hear from the people. You see, it's not only that he was choosing filet over fellowship, but now he's choosing intercourse over intercession. You see, because the priests were to be intercessors, to go before the Lord on behalf of the people, and they were defiling that very process that they were so important to do. You see, they weren't listening to what God had said. Exodus twenty fourteen had said, don't commit adultery, right? I mean, I believe that at this time they could have been married. They were young men. We find in, in just a chapter back in chapter four that, that his wife is, is going to die, and so these, these could be married men who are there and, and they're doing these kind of things. Uh, listen to what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is one of the verses I used to use with students all the time because I wanted them to understand what God's plan for them. Listen to this. For this is the plan or will of God, your sanctification, in other words, your holiness, your purity, that you should abstain or say no from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles, listen, who do not even know God. He says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. 
He says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You see, they knew, they understood that it was wrong what they were doing. Sleeping with these ladies who were dedicated to God's service was wrong. And I don't know if it's because he's old, it says he was very old. I don't know if he was slow to perceive or he was just apathetic to his son's sins. But either way, he didn't do anything. You see, that place became a place where sin was confessed. It was supposed to be a place where sin was confessed. Instead, it became a place where sin was committed. And it shouldn't have been that way. Eli realizes that this gross sin is ultimately against the Lord. It's against Yahweh. And you know what? Ultimately, as we look at this, it's a picture of man's need for a new intercessor. Amen? It realizes that these were unfaithful priests, that they were not going to get the job done. And this is going to usher in the beginning of us looking for a faithful priest, somebody who would stand before God for us, for our sins, and that was going to be Jesus. Amen? How exciting. It's a picture of man's need for a mediator between him and God, ultimately going to be Jesus. I think in verse 25 is one of the saddest verses of all Scripture where it says, but they would not listen to the voice of their father. They would not listen to the voice of truth. You know, 3 John 4 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Isn't that what we want for our kids? But they had an outright rebellion against their father and ultimately against God. He asked them to stop sinning, and they basically look at him and say, no. No. You know what? Here's the deal. Eli ultimately had the authority to remove them, but he didn't. He had the, the, the right to go to them and say, hey, listen, this, this is not right what you're doing and, and I'm gonna remove you from this position until you repent from this, but he did not. He just gave him a verbal warning. Don't do that. That's not right. You shouldn't do that. He didn't discipline his children the way he should have. He didn't act according to the sin that they had committed. So verse 25 says this, Listen, if you don't want to handle and deal with your children, you don't want to deal, I will deal with them. Listen to what he does when you don't deal with your sin. It says, for this is the will of the Lord to put them to death. Another version says this, the Lord was already planning to put them to death. You see, they had hardened their hearts. They rejected the gift of grace, the forgiveness of God. They were in willful rebellion. They were wicked and they didn't care. Romans chapter 1 paints a picture of this reprobate mind. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In other words, he doesn't excuse our behavior. He doesn't excuse unfaithfulness no matter who we are. It says, Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In other words, say, I don't care. I don't want to hear the truth, man. Quit telling me it. I'm over it. I'm going to do what I want. So listen to what happens. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God gave them up. Listen to this. 
God gave them up to the lusts of their heart. He said, this is what you want? You want unforgiveness? You just want to live in your pleasure? You want to do whatever you want? Here it is. They wasted away the days of grace. They were in a position of God's grace, his love, his favor. They were serving. They were the priests, and they wasted away those days of grace. In fact, they didn't waste them away. They sinned away those days of grace. And he turned them over to a reprobate mind, which rejects the truth. You see, maybe they said to themselves, well, I'll come back later. Well, after I'm done having fun, when I'm done sinning, when I'm done, then I'll come back to you, God. No, that's not your choice. It's not your option to say, I'll come, God, whenever I want, and I'll forgive myself. No. God, when he's knocking on that door, you better open, because he said, today is the day of salvation. How many here are promised tomorrow? Not one of you. Not me. God says, it's today. It's not tomorrow I'm going to be faithful. Tomorrow I'll honor you, God. After I'm done having my fun, God, it's now. It's I'm going to live for God now. I'm going to be faithful to God's call now, not just in the future. God is in control of that in his sovereignty. You know, God is not just a God of grace or forgiveness, but a God of justice. God cannot overlook the sinfulness of mankind. In fact, by announcing judgment on sin and exposing it, he protects the people of God from being overcome by sin. That's how he protects you. By helping you see there's consequences. And by the way, you don't get to pick them. You can sin. I used to say this to teenagers all I want because I wanted them to get this picture. Sin all you want. You can do whatever you want, but just know that you never get to pick the consequences. Ever. And it's the same for you and me as adults. We don't always get to pick that. God is a God of justice. If someone had murdered your child, God forbid, would you want the judge to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to put you on probation for 90 days. Just don't do this. This is your first offense. Don't go do this again. Would that be justice? Would it be? Would you be satisfied with that justice? No, you would say, no, the penalty for this deserves to be something needs to happen. This guy needs to be locked up forever or to his life take. Something needs to happen. I need a better justice system than that. Listen to Deuteronomy 32, 4 says. It says this, the rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Once again, Jesus, who is our mediator, it was said of him, it was the will of the Lord to put him to death for our sin. There's the comparison. There's the contrast. God took our sin. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and one mediator between God and man. Who is it? The man, Jesus, Christ Jesus. He said that he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, became sin for us so that we could be made right with God. There was, a, there was a contrast. That God paid a penalty for our sin. You see, they didn't want to repent. So God says, okay, here's your consequence. Here's what's going to happen. You see, that's what happened in failed leadership. Eli was the high priest as well as the father of H&P, and he was responsible for the years of abuse of the sacrificial system by his sons. You know, we do have to give an account for our children someday, do we not? We will stand before the Lord. 
for how we raise our children. Once again, not the outcome, but the input that we give them. We will have to stand before the Lord. And listen, Eli had a very low view of sin. And when you have a low view of sin, you have a low view of God because sin cost his son his life. We better not take it. It's not cheap grace. It wasn't easy grace. It was painful. He died on a cross for our sins. We better not take that for granted or have that low view of God. You can't live any way you please. There's only two choices, pleasing God or pleasing self. Hoffman and Finnish chose pleasing self over pleasing God. You know, there's a lesson in that failed leadership. You know, corrupt, poor leadership has a top-down effect. Football teams, corporations, businesses rise and fall on leadership. You get bad owners, you get bad GMs, bad coaches, then it goes down to the players, right? You, you get good ones. I, I don't like the Patriots. I, I never want them to excel, but they've got good ownership, good, good GM, good coach, a good team, sadly, right? Now, I use the Dallas Cowboys as a bad example because I don't like Jerry Jones, but I'll go to Al Davis from the Raiders back in the 80s. He's a bad owner. There was a lot of bad years, okay? Falls down to the team. I was the Barnstormers coach the last three, or Barnstormers chaplain the last three years, and I can tell you, I'm not gonna announce who, but man, there was some bad, bad leadership. And you know what I saw? I saw players punch each other in the sidelines, get in fights during a game with each other, not the other team, with each other. Why? Poor leadership. Poor leadership in a home affects your kids. Poor leadership affects our community, affects our church. When you're not willing to honor God and be faithful no matter what he asks you to do. Samuel knew he was accountable to God. H&P took advantage of that position as priest. Didn't care about God, didn't worry about God. The second aspect of his failed leadership, not only was he responsible for that, but he honored his sons above the Lord. When you honor your sons or the things of this world above the Lord, it never works out. 1 John 2, 5 says, 15 says this, Love not the world, neither the things in the world. It says, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me just tell you, parents, to be careful not to make raising your children the center of your world. Don't place them on the throne either. And it's easy to do. I understand when they're young, especially, you've got to give them a lot of attention. But I'm telling you, I've told my boys this. I didn't say this in the first service. We've told them before, listen, it's between you and mom. I hope you guys find a nice place to live. Some of you are going to get that, okay? Because if you're not going to listen to me and you're not going to, you're out of my house. It's, you're gone. I don't, my wife is forever. My job is to release you anyway. You're going to be gone, right? The bottom line is I've watched and I've, I've had lots of those we live our life around our children. Children come through my youth group. And you want to know what? They're the selfish brats that I could not, ugh, I just, man, in my youth group, I'm not going to play that game. You can't make me. My parents won't let me. My parent will talk to you. And they wouldn't listen. And it all revolved around them. If they didn't want to do it, they didn't like it, they didn't do it. You know what? It's that indulgent parent. Gives them whatever. And it's too much work to parent. That's what happened with Eli. He let him be indulgent. Oh, well, you know what? I don't want to get him upset. I know it's wrong, but maybe just a slap or verbal rebuke. And finally, they were like, no, nah, I don't even, I'm not, you've never disciplined, I'm not listening to you. You see, there's a balance between love and discipline. There's a balance there that God has with us. You see, the contrast, Hannah placed God first and her child second. Eli placed 
his children first and God second. Once again, how does it work out? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says this. This is our parents' favorite verse, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, right? We love this voice. Honor your father and mother. It's the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, right? Is Is that the end or is there more? Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his whole soul from Sheol. The Bible says, hey man, discipline and love go hand in hand. The Bible says in Hebrews, right, that God disciplines his children. If you're not didn't disciplined, you're not his child. And it's the same. It's a balance of love and discipline that you need for your children that was not shown by Eli to his kids. I love that verse. It says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's a positive encouragement. We're to bring them up. Let me just say this. If all you are is discipline and you're no love on the other side, you're going to have kids who rebel too. Because rules without relationships breeds rebellion. And you need to make sure that you're, you're handling that right. Make sure you're loving them. You see, the family is the arena where personal godliness is promoted where the glory of God is manifested in a personal relationships that are rooted in commitments to the Lord. Well, what we're going to see next is how God judges sin. That God does judge sin. Verse 26, we see the boy Samuel contrast again. The other boys are going to be put to death. Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. We find that same uh, verse in Luke 2.52 when it says Jesus grew in favor and stature with God and man, right? So Samuel is this picture, this beautiful picture in part of who Jesus Christ was going to be. In verses 27 through 36, we're not going to read, well, we'll read most of this. It says, there came a man of God to Eli. We don't know who this man is. It was a prophet that came to him at this time, unknown, unnamed one, and said to him, thus says the Lord, here comes the judgment. Here comes the consequence. Did I, not in, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? To grow up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. He's saying, don't you remember, man, all the blessings? I brought you and delivered you out of Egypt. I set you up. I mean, people were going to bring you your food, man. It's like having takeout every day. You get it? I mean, don't you recognize all that I did? Here's all the blessings. I was faithful to you, to your household. And here's the response. I gave to the house of your father all the offerings. He said, then why then do you, Eli, scorn my sacrifices, my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor, listen, your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel? He's calling them out for using that fat part that he's not supposed to. And by the way, part of the consequence, Eli becomes very heavy. And he falls off and he dies in a few chapters later. Once again, piling up for himself what was not to be his, but what was to be given to God. He says, you fatted yourself with that choicest offering. He says, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. He said, you were promised that under that covenant. He said, but guess what? But now the Lord declares far that those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. 
He said, you know what? If you're willing to honor me, I honor you. But if you're not, then I'm under no obligation to honor you. If you're not willing to be faithful. See, God's faithful. He is a God of faithfulness. He said, so here's the judgment. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house, which was a sign of, of strength to have an older man. He, everyone was gonna die in their youth in his family from now on. He says, then in distress you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed upon Israel and there shall be not an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart and the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. He says, and this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be, and this shall be a, a sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. Wow. Parents, what a high price for not disciplining your children. What a high price for not taking seriously what God commands. In every detail, both of his children are going to die. And I will raise up for myself, listen, a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, not in his own. And I will build him a sure house. He shall go in and out before me. I'm my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. In other words, remember how they got fat off the beautiful fat part of the, the offering? Now you're all going to beg for food. Consequences of our sin sometimes. Somebody once said this, sin takes you farther than you want to go, costs you more than you want to pay, and keeps you longer than you want to stay. Sin has a high price, as it did here for him. And it says, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may enter. And you know, obviously the partial fulfillment of that faithful priest was Samuel. He was the priest prophet. And then if you go 130 years later, Solomon, as he removes Abathar, uh, from the priesthood and replaces him with Zadok. Zadok is a, a partial replacement of that faithful priest, but ultimately, who's that faithful priest going to be? Jesus. He's going to be the mediator between God and man. Listen to these awesome verses as we end this. It says, Hebrews 3, 1, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who shared a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Listen, who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. He says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heaven. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sin or those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Amen? Greatest contrast is when he exchanged his grace for our sin. Amen? His blood for ours. Man, what an awesome thing. Ultimately, Jesus. Let me just say, men, by the way, as we look at this story, there's a lot here about men leading the home and how important it is that we lead our homes well, that we're following after God with all of our heart, that we're doing the little things that we need to, that are necessary, that God calls us to do, that we're watching what we look at what we value, that we respect our wives, that we treat others and our wives with respect, how we value God, his word, his church. It matters, and our kids are watching. Well, I don't leave a lot of time for chapter three, but chapter three is also 
my reading for today. We're not going to read chapter 3. I'm just going to summarize some of it. I'll read the first verse here. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. You want to know why? God said, Sometimes starvation may not come from an absence of food, but a lack of appetite. You know? And the bottom line is that uh, the word of God was rare. The people were unfaithful. The priests were unfaithful. And God was waiting for a faithful priest to come in and bring strong word. And that's what he's going to do through the prayers of Hannah and her son, Samuel. And, and what we're going to see is that uh, three times God calls to Samuel in this story. And each time he runs to Eli like, and I don't know if you've ever been woke up in the middle of the night, parents. I have by my kids and, and I'm all confused in days. And, and sometimes we say things that the kids go, why did you say that? And I'm like, I don't even know you woke me up. I don't remember that, right? But he recognizes that, hey, listen, wait a second. The Lord must be speaking to Samuel. And you know what else Eli's probably realizing? I'm being replaced. Because my lack of faithfulness my lack of honoring God, my lack of discipline, my children, God is replacing me. And Samuel is that replacement. He's about 12 probably at this time. And when it, right in the middle of that story, I think it's verse 13, is where he says, at first it says he didn't know the Lord, but he turned. He responded to the call of God on the fourth time. He said, next time you hear this, go back and say, yes, Lord, speak. And Samuel recall, uh, listens to the call of God and is faithful to that call. And ultimately, isn't that what we want for our children, right? Amen. And what God wants for each of us is to respond to that call. And I love how patient God is. It took four times. I love the patience of God that he's calling, saying, okay, he didn't, he didn't quite figure out it was me yet. You know, he's new at this. Let me, let me call again. I do love that. God is calling. And maybe today God is still calling to you. This morning he's offering you an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to accept his forgiveness. He's offering that for you today. You know, he had a very hard message. The message that God gave him was this. He reiterated that both Hophni and Phinehas were going to be killed on the same day. And you know what? He didn't want to tell Eli that. But Eli knew that the Lord had spoken to him and came to him and said, what did he say? And if you don't tell me the truth, I'm going to pray that everything that was supposed to happen to me happens to you. And you know what happened? Samuel told the truth. He was faithful. And he told him the truth. And Eli responded in the right way. He accepted the Lord's consequence. He said, if that's what God's will is, that's what God's will is. I'm not going to change that. He understood that. But he was still replaced. And I love verse 19. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet for the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by Shiloh, by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord begins to return to the nation of Israel. You know, how awesome is it that we have this? That we get to read, we get to, we get to know what are the consequences of my sin? What, what is it when I'm faithful? What, is it, what do I need to do? What are, how are my prayers answered? Man, we get it, we've got it. It's not rare, it's right here. And as Pastor Todd said at the beginning of the service, man, every day you have a chance to hear from God, to commune with God, to fellowship with God. How powerful is that? Because it changes you, and it changes your family, and it changes your kid. So I want to encourage you, look at the, the different comparisons as we went a little bit over today again. I told Pastor Todd, I said, man, I didn't know how I was going to fit 50 minutes of preaching in. 
And then first service, I went over, and I went a little over again today. I didn't realize that I could fill it, so I felt good about that. Um, but the bottom line is, today is a, a comparison of a faithful versus an unfaithful life. Our take-home truth is this. Living a life of partial obedience is disobedience and bring God's ju- brings God's judgment, while a life of total obedience brings blessing and God's favor. Amen? I want to be in that position of God's favor. I want to be on that side of it. I want my kids to be on that side of it. And that's a decision you can make today as you decide to say, I choose to be faithful to you, God. And trust me, God will be faithful back. Amen? He is faithful. Let's pray together.